I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. New Orleans restaurants are facing an existential threat. The pandemic has drastically reduced the number of visitors to the city, and locals are dining out much less frequently. It's unclear to all when health restrictions can begin to ease and life can return to some sort of normal. On today's podcast, we talk with Jennifer Weishaupt, the founder and CEO of the Ruby Slipper Restaurant Group, about how COVID-19 may change restaurants forever and how she's managed to keep her business moving forward despite all the challenges. Weishaupt, a retired engineer, runs a restaurant group that has grown from one mid-city cafe to 18 units in five southern states. Jennifer Weishaupt, thanks for being on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Rich. So my first question is, is the restaurant industry going to change forever? I do think it is, actually. I wouldn't have said that a few months ago. I wouldn't have said that a month or two in, but now that we're you know kind of coming up on the six-month mark, uh, we've definitely seen a lot of changes uh, in consumer behavior and in, you know, kind of what's important and what's the focus for restaurants. Talk to me about what you, what the changes are that you guys had to implement and what you're seeing just in consumer behavior and everything else. Right. So um, at this point in time, um, we have 18 restaurants in five states and um, two of those actually are new restaurants that opened uh, during this pandemic experience. So of course they were scheduled to open um, previously and so they got delayed. Uh, We opened one in Nashville in June and one in Charlotte, North Carolina in July. So, um, you know, kind of not only have we dealt with the changes in operating restaurants, We've also uh, learned a bit about the changes in opening new restaurants, so that's been exciting. So I think some of the the kind of key things that we're seeing from a consumer behavior is, you know, there's definitely um, a group of consumers who wish to continue to eat and enjoy their restaurant food at home. And so, you know, being active in multiple Uh, third-party delivery apps and, you know, online ordering is really critical to um, long-term maintaining those customers until, you know, such time as they might be comfortable coming back and dining in restaurants. Um, On the folks, you know, the the group of guests who want to dine in with us, uh, there's definitely um, the large majority of them have a heightened awareness of health and safety and wanting to make sure that they can enjoy their meal in a safe environment um, and know that the place that they're eating is taking the necessary precautions um, to keep both the staff healthy as well as the guests. Um, I think that, uh, you know, kind of some of the longer term changes that we'll see for the restaurant industry is much more spaced out dining spaces. So um, I think everybody, if you think about it, you recognize um, your intuition about, you know, what amount of space around you you're comfortable with has changed over this period of time. 
and it reminds me of um, getting in an elevator or you know if you live in a big city getting in a subway car and there's these things that happen in your brain when you're the only one in the elevator and one person gets in you stay as far away from each other as possible and then as the elevator fills up you get closer and closer and I think that people do not have that comfort of the closer and closer anymore right so I think we're gonna see that in order for restaurants to, you know, if they want to seat and serve the same number of guests, they're going to have to have larger footprints or as what we see is there's a high preference for outdoor dining, open air dining. And so really having to focus on how outdoor spaces are designed and putting the same, you know, kind of level of care, design and amenity into those outdoor spaces to make them usable as much of the year as possible. Um, which is difficult in a place like New Orleans where we have really, really hot summers, right? And so, you know, typically people here don't eat outside in the summer, um, whereas lots of other places in the country, you know, you can, you know, kind of three season eat outside and not eat outside at winter, right? So we kind of the opposite of that. You mentioned before we uh, started recording the podcast that uh, you had to do some work on your outdoor space on Metairie Road this morning. What can you tell me about that? Yes. So um, one of the things that we did um, when we learned that we would be able to reopen, so this was back in, I guess, in early May or even late April, we were looking at how um, we could add additional outdoor seating. And so at our Metairie Road location, for those who are familiar with it, um, it has a large parking lot and our landlord was gracious enough to let us put some fairly large tents and create an outdoor dining area. So the tents we have are, you know, 30 by 20. So we had two 30 by 20 tents and a, and a, t- a 20 by 20 tent. Um, and last night there was a very unexpected thunderstorm with high winds that came through, um, and basically twisted up all three of those tents, uh, made quite a mess. So that was my, you know, when I woke up this morning, that was the message that I got. And um, my husband, Eric, and I got ready and headed over. You know, luckily we only live, you know, 10 minutes away. So um, we went over and alongside a bunch of um, our senior leaders, our general manager for that restaurant, and some of our senior operations leaders we spent a couple hours dismantling damaged tents and then um, rebuilding to undamaged tents. So um, that was not how my Monday was supposed to go, but. I guess that's that's life in the pandemic and it's a good thing both you and your husband are, are engineers, right? <laughs> yeah, we're definitely not afraid of uh, following instructions or tools or building stuff. So we had the right team on it. Now you mentioned, you, you say it's hard for people to eat outside in New Orleans in August. Um, but then I'm guessing that it's easier than it's going to be for someone to be eating outside in Chicago in January. Yeah, that's true. So each week that passed, you know, we when we first got those tents up, we first reopened those restaurants, it was really beautiful spring weather, right? And then the hot weather started coming. I, I feel like we didn't get really hot weather until July, so we kind of had a, a very pleasant May and June for the most part. So then we started realizing, you know, kind of what else do we need to add in terms of fans and um, all that sort of stuff. So we um, have been, you know, just continuing to upgrade, you know, decorating the inside and, you know, adding plants and things like that in areas where we don't have landscaping. So we have outdoor dining options um, at most of our New Orleans area locations. And we're very hopeful with um, the mayor's announcement 
about the addition of some, you know, essentially like curbside or parklet type eating um, options that they're working on that we'll be able to add more outdoor dining at like our uptown New Orleans location, which currently is the only one that doesn't have any outdoor dining, as well as our 200 Magazine Street location in the CBD, where um, most is probably the location that we are most well known for because um, so many people, it's such a busy location and so many people dine there, locals and tourists alike. So um, that location is really constrained right now. I want to ask you a question about your restaurants in particular and then the industry in general. I noticed every time I've talked to you over the last few months to get your perspective on various stories affecting restaurants, you always seem optimistic. And I'm impressed by that since you've got eight, what, 18 now 18, yeah. in multiple states all across the Southeast. And I, I talk to so many people who are, who are in a really bad situation. <laughs> How is it that you seem upbeat still? And what is the reality of what's going on with all your locations? Yeah, so I guess, um, how do I remain optimistic? I think, you know, part of that's just inherently who I am. And in part, it, you know, probably relates to the engineering mindset, which is that everything is a problem and you just have to find a solution and you don't let your problems beat you down. Not to say I don't have moments of lots of plenty of moments of frustration, but I'm a really good venter. So when I'm like, over something I just kind of let it all out and then I just move on to solution like okay how do I make it better now I feel better you know I got to say my piece um so I think for us the way that we really went into COVID um was we made really hard decisions early on which was a different approach than many restaurants that I saw who you know, they really wanted to hold on to their people for as long as possible. And I felt like for us, we had to make hard people decisions early to get our staff down to the number that we knew we could support so that we could survive those many, many weeks of delivery only and uncertainty about reopening dining rooms and then like stepping up reopening dining rooms. And that by doing that, it would put us in a financial situation and a position where we could then bring back staff and rebuild those staff and, and be in a survive, you know, go from that kind of survive mentality to a thrive mentality. And that's really been our focus was we did not wait long to when we saw, you know, what we thought we saw coming. We made the really hard decision to lay off all of our hourly workers it was actually the best thing for those people because they all got to, they, they kind of got into unemployment in the early side of that curve when it was not quite as difficult. Now, of course, there are some, some people who did not, um, were not fortunate to get through that system and had you know, roadblocks, but for the most part, you know, most successfully got unemployment and that meant that they were then eligible for that federal additional unemployment money, um, which put many people in a even slightly better position than they might have been. Um, we also stayed really connected with our staff by doing family meals for them daily. So every day that our restaurants um, were closed to dine in, we offered um, a family meal that people could pick up for um, up to a family of four. 
and you know whether that was something they got off our menu or something that we cooked special for them so that was a way we stayed connected with them and then you know kind of as we've continued to have an outlook I think there's a big piece of it that is the way that my husband Eric and I started the business and had always grown the business which was that you do things with the money you have and you grow at the pace you can afford and so we self-funded our growth you know really for the first 10 years before we decided to really try to accelerate the rate of that growth and then we went out and sought some capital but we always looked at you know what can you afford to do so we were in a you know a fairly strong financial position going in and you know so we were able to really weather that on the financial side and the mental side i think both of those do you have a plan right now where you expect to do a certain percentage of what you would normally be doing this time of year what's your forecast yeah so we actually started um I guess in May, when we closed May, May was the month that we reopened to dining in all markets. So it kind of happened throughout that whole month. Um, but so basically by June 1st, all of our restaurants um, were open to dine in. And so we started doing essentially a monthly reforecast at that point and where we could use like, okay, this is what it really looked like. And the, the restaurants are all over the board. Um, you know, most of them operate at essentially 50% capacity on their interior. But in a case like Metairie Road, we were able to really add a lot of exterior um, seating. Whereas at some place like Uptown, we have no exterior seating. So 50% really is 50%. So there's kind of, you know, there's a lot of calculation that went into you know what do we think these restaurants are going to do um but then there's the reality of what happens and then there's also the difference between you know we have restaurants in orange beach alabama and in pensacola florida um those restaurants those are places that people are really going to right like nobody can go on a you know their real vacation that they had planned for the summer or their you know whatever they were going to do so we're definitely seeing um you know a lot of guests in those restaurants um and they're really helping us so the forecast could be anywhere from about 50% of what we were doing last year to we have some restaurants that are doing 110% of what they did last year um so it's it, you couldn't you can't across the board predict you really have to look like restaurant by restaurant location by location and you have to keep in mind that we still have um we have four restaurants of those 18 that are temporarily closed um two of them in downtown new orleans uh decatur which is about to reopen and then, of course, the canal location is in the red zone for the Hard Rock. And so as they're doing that demolition, we're, you know, we could not, we were not allowed to reopen that restaurant. And then we have two in Tennessee that are temporarily closed and going to reopen probably in October. Yeah, so four of them are doing 0%. But in the case of, say, the, the, the Hard Rock location, there might be some legal relief because of that extenuating circumstance. Yeah. And then on the from the scale, you've got all the way from that to some that are doing as good or better. Yeah, we have one location of the 18 that's comping above last year, and it's, you know, between 100 and 110 percent um, due to, you know, I think it's a combination of demand and outdoor seating availability. 
So I, I would say the average is kind of in that 70 to 80 percent. Um, if you have the outdoor seating and you're able, you are able to expand your outdoor seating, then they're, you know, those locations are more like 70 to 80. So am I correct in my rudimentary understanding that if you have one location, say the Canal Street one that has to be closed right now, you would be in a disastrous situation. But because you've got 18 and the performance is so varied, you're able to overall survive better than if you just had a few. Yeah, that's, I, I do think that um, there is, there's almost a scale factor that says we have some that are doing better and some that are doing worse. And so, you know, the ones that are doing better are obviously bringing a little more money um, in cash flow. And not that we're making money right now, but that we're not losing as much money as we would be if we had, you know, if we had one or two locations that were, really at that low end of the scale or really um, struggling or even if they were closed, you still have fixed costs that you can't eliminate um, that you're just, you know, you're having to carry those, so. Right, right. So before the pandemic, we had 1,400 restaurants in New Orleans. Do you feel like there is going to be a, a reckoning or a culling or an adjustment over the next year and that we're gonna have significantly fewer uh, this time next year? Yes, I mean, that's probably one of the data points that I'm following most closely to really understand what's the impact um, nationally and then what's the impact in the local market. I know that there was a story several weeks ago um, where the LRA had done some analysis and I think the number that they said was a in the ballpark of 40% of restaurants in New Orleans um, could close in the next year. And I think, you know, you definitely see a percentage of restaurants, a significant percentage of restaurants now who've either chosen to not reopen until, you know, they're comfortable and they can safely do so, um, or who tried to reopen and then recognize, you know, just how difficult it is. So there's you know, the factors of, you know, kind of what you really have to do, um, there's so much added cost on compliance with screening your employees, um, you know, cleanliness, sanitizing, and then really what are the procedures and protocols that you're doing to do those things. Um, there's a very high cost of absenteeism right now because um, if people have, you know, if you have an employee and they have a symptom that could be a COVID symptom, you really have to keep them out of work until you can rule other things out or rule COVID out. And as you know, you know, in the course of these six months or so, the turnaround time on tests has gone from, you know, as low as maybe two to three days to as high as 10 to 14 days. I think we're starting to get back into the more like three to seven day range on tests. But, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of tracking to really understand what does that look like. And then when you, on top of that, it's like, how many people can you really see if you maintain social distancing and you, you know, reduce your capacity and what's the demand for, you know, to go, et cetera. So I think really there's so many factors that come into play. Um, there's no easy answers in this environment. What what sorts of things do you think are going to be needed to to keep the New Orleans restaurant industry 
as healthy as it can be in the coming year. So, you know, I think obviously there's a balance between finding a vaccine and getting a population vaccinated and then also, you know, having people take the level of personal precautions that they need to take in terms of wearing masks, hand washing and sanitizing, Um, you know, so I think that side of it is really critical. Um, A restaurant like any other close contact environment could become an outbreak very easily. Um, We're very fortunate that the protocols and procedures that we put in place um, and have really held the line on with all of our staff and our staff sees the value in doing those things. And so we've had exceptionally low um, positive cases across the restaurants and um, we have not yet had a single case of transmission when we've had a one positive we've never had a related positive in that restaurant so i think that speaks to what we require of our staff and what our staff um, is doing really consistently so i think you know there is a way to have a safe staff and have safe guest interactions um i think that the kind of financial aspect there's a um, a bill out there the the nra um, has backed that um a national restaurants kind of a restaurant rescue bill that's somewhat like the ppp funds but has um, very different restrictions that will open it up you know more in the restaurant space um, is really critical i don't you know i don't think that our local government has the money to sustain this industry so um, I think, you know, something has to come from the federal level and then the state, you know, has to work with local governments to figure out how um, to make sure that that money is uh, spent properly and responsibly, you know, for the outcomes that people want. Um, and then I think there's, uh, there's just a level of um, resilience and you know kind of fortitude and persistence that you have to have you know i think there are things that you had to have to be successful in this business before because it's always been a business of pennies but now you have to have them you know to the 10th power because every day is something new that's happening and it's challenges that you know none of us were um trained for or experience. And I think that, you know, kind of one of the hardest pieces of it is that, you know, people are in this business, it's the hospitality business. They do it because they want to serve guests and they want to create great guest experiences. There's so many barriers that are in place that are, you know, make it so much more difficult, you know, for a server to have that connection with their guests and, you know, really feel like they're doing their best so it's it's a balancing act of you know making sure they're doing the right things and they're also trying to ensure that the guest is having a great dining experience to the extent that we can while we're keeping them healthy and safe so what do you miss most about life (laughs) pre-covid um what i miss most is hugging people (laughs) who are not just my immediate family um I'm a very social person, so I, I really miss like just being able to invite people over and not have to go through like a 27 point 
thoughtful checklist of who have you been around and um, you know keeping this really tight circle for such a long period of time so I miss I would say you know just hugging people in general and my like friends and family and really be able to um, be around them um, and I do really miss dining out because I definitely do it less frequently because I'm hyper aware of what people are doing and how they're doing it um, and so I'm you know constantly watching for those protocols and you know what are what are they touching what you know how are all those things being done are they really sanitizing the condiments are they you know really cleaning the table like you know if I go in a restaurant and I see somebody spraying Windex I'm turning around and walking out because it's not going to help anybody <laughs> right right we have a lot of challenges there's a lot of concern well-placed concern about the safety and welfare of of restaurant and hotel and bar employees that right now are unemployed. There's a lot of business owners who are, who are going to be in distress, but New Orleans is a resilient place and we've been through a lot of challenges. What are thoughts that give you hope for New Orleans coming back with some lessons learned and better than ever? Yeah, so I would say, you know, I think the thing that most gives me hope is the number of employees that we've seen um, come back to work in a very challenging environment and um, the number of new employees we've been able to attract to come work for us as well. And, you know, that, you know, they show up every day with a smile on their face and they're ready to like face it all again. Um, that really gives me a lot of hope because I think it really speaks to who we are as a city. Um, and, you know, many of those people have been with me for several years. Some of those people are brand new to us, but they, you know, they already feel like um, part of our crew and part of our, you know, core team structure. And so that they can continue to really um, keep a positive attitude and be upbeat is, you know, I think one of the things that I get a lot of my energy from. And I think the other um, is really, I've, I've seen a shift. Um, I see so many more people outdoors and really enjoying the outdoors and like finding ways to do the things that they, they need to do for their own like health and well-being. Um, you know, if you go to our parks and, you know, green spaces, the Greenway, I live in the mid-city area, so it's the Bayou and City Park and the Lafitte Greenway. And those types of, of activities, there are so many people out enjoying them now safely. And I think, you know, people have made a real shift. I know in my family, we made a real shift of um, spending a lot more time together and doing more family stuff and not being like we run our schedule instead of letting our schedule run us which is kind of where we had gotten in life right um so one of the the conversations i had with a friend recently is like so many of us have been saying for so long like i just need a break i just need more free time like you you these things that you kind of ask and say I need and all of a sudden we got them and we're looking around like no no I didn't mean this way this isn't the way I meant it but you don't get the thing you asked for necessarily in the form or the way that you wanted it so you have to take what you get and say how do I make the best thing out of it because we we're all getting the same thing right now and you know for me I just am like 
how can I make the best out of this? And so I'm just hopeful when I see, um, you know, the just everybody who's out and, you know, following the rules and, you know, when people put their mask on and they come to the host stand and they are kind and gracious to the host, it's the best start of a day because, um, trust me, if any of y'all going out to eat, like, that host has the hardest, one of the hardest jobs out there right now because not everyone is as kind, as gracious as you might be. And, um, you know, they're kind of our first line of defense in helping ensure that um, everybody's following the rules and, you know, we have the tools to give people to follow the rules like a mask. Um, so, you know, I guess those are a couple of the things that are making me hopeful. Absolutely. Jennifer Weishaupt, thank you for being a guest on our podcast. Thank you so much, Rich. Great to talk with you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.